Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, Dimitri here. Uh, Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to address a few questions I've been getting recently from listeners of the show. Uh, A little state of the union for the podcast, if you will. Uh, First of all, apologies for taking last week off. Um, I had some really fun ideas for shows that were being put into action. And then I woke up one morning without my voice and with a nasty flu, just keeping me in bed and we had to push it all back. So uh, seeing the number of people that were freaking out about there being new episodes, no new episodes last week was selfishly kind of cool though, because uh, it made me really just want to get back at it as soon as possible um the other thing is as you've probably noticed the show is now appearing on sportsnet and uh it's obviously a tremendous opportunity for myself and it unfortunately doesn't come without a price so what that means is that some of you have already pieced it together that uh my good buddy travis yost won't be able to be on the show for now and um that's mostly just because the lines have been sort of drawn in the sand between the two brands and that's just how this business works unfortunately um i'd be lying if i said that wasn't a bummer because sad the obvious fact that he's a really sharp hockey mind. Uh, I thought we developed some pretty good chemistry together over the months working together twice a week. So, um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough because I, I personally enjoyed a lot of stuff. We did a great deal. And I think the reason why, uh, the show came across so easy to listen to for so many people was because, uh, it was something, these were conversations we would have been having even if we weren't really recording them and distributing them publicly. So it felt really organic. And I think I want to miss working with Travis in that regard because he was just really easy to work with like that. But, uh, with that being said, the plan is to otherwise keep the hockey PDO cast looking and sounding the same way as it's always been. Uh, the mission statement isn't really going to change at all. We're going to keep doing the show a couple times a week and I'll be using it as a platform to bring on as many great knowledgeable guests as I can that can provide instant insightful conversation into what's going on with the sport. Um, so with one last thing before we get going, uh, I'd like to give some love to both the artists who put the cool new graphic together for the show. Uh, you can find more of his work on Twitter at, at Brad 4 d Comics and my producer Matt for the new snazzy intro-outro music. So with all that being said, let's do this thing. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is someone who's becoming a, a frequent guest on the show. It's Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man? Hanging around like a bad smell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited to hear someone else's voice. I've been uh, cooped up in bed the past week with the flu, so just hearing anyone else other than the, the thoughts in my head is, uh, is, a, is a relief. 
Were you still able to watch some hockey last week then? At I least, was, or? yeah. Okay. I, I'd pull up the old uh, NHL TV and, of course, deal with uh, all the commercials and stuff. It was great. It was uh, very, well, I, very, I'd be really very worried about you if, you if you weren't able to watch. If you were so sick, you couldn't watch games. Yeah, so. and couldn't complain about the commercials and the, uh, the lagging and all that jazz. Exactly. Um, so I, I knew I had to get you on as soon as uh, on Friday afternoon the everything sort of hit the fan with this Weidman situation. And I don't know. Let's just let's recap all the facts for people that haven't been paying attention because basically I, I went back and checked in the archives and I had you on the show on February ninth, which is I think today's the fourteenth. So that was well over a month ago now. And and we it was right before they were about to start this arbitration process. And at the time, you and I were both like, "Yeah, this is a total sham. There's no way Weidman." actually going to get any sort of a legitimate relief here and then sure enough he misses 19 games and then we wind up being proved wrong because he actually does wind up getting his sentence pretty much cut in half uh what the hell happened here well i think everyone's still trying to figure it out i mean there's so many layers to this thing but on the kind of the base layer is that uh you know the the independent arbitrator found that that gary batman didn't have a strong enough case to argue for uh, intent to injure on on the play and and uh you know i think that that was always probably with hindsight that that, that was always going to be the key is whether they could could prove that that fact and and you know obviously they couldn't but man i mean there's there's questions about what would they do with this going forward is there a way to shorten the process to ensure someone doesn't miss nine more games than they're supposed to in a suspension and and you know there's even some kind of greasier stuff with uh, text messages and all that. So I don't know where you want to go next, but uh, it, it, it was a pretty crazy uh, process all in all. And, and you know, I, I really didn't expect to see the suspension dropped and was very surprised when it was cut in half. Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers to unpack here. I guess let's start with the with the text because uh, when the when the news first broke that when they gave him the 20 game suspension and Batman sort of uh, made mention of those text messages that they didn't really show remorse and he wasn't buying that Weidman was actually sorry about what he what he'd done. I always thought like, okay, that was fine, but it felt like that was one of their main arguments that like that's why they were really dropping the hammer on him. And I always thought that was a little bit weird. And then obviously uh, news comes out that the text that Weidman sent might not have been to a teammate, but might have actually been to Gregory. Campbell, who was at the time celebrating Colin Campbell's birthday, I believe, and all of that stuff. You can kind of connect the dots there and, and make sense of it. But I don't know, just like all of it just seems so fishy to me. Well, the, the thing that we have to remember is that none of this occurs in a vacuum. And, mm-hmm. and I do feel, and, and this is a personal opinion as opposed to something someone's told me who's connected to this, but that, that the fact that the concussion litigation that's going on is going to expose, you know, private messages uh, that were sent by league officials, and and you know from all indications, they're going to be unflattering. Uh, from whether it be Coley Campbell or perhaps Gary Batman and Bill Daly, the other senior leadership of the NHL. You know, part of me wondered all along: is that why this text was included in the original ruling that that, that Gary Batman delivered? Because if you read it, it it's it's twenty pages, give or take, of legal, 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 and then right at the end. They just ram in this text, which is, you know, when you first read it before you think about it, it seems a bit salacious or, uh, you know, something you're not supposed to be seeing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never understood that. And then, you know, in the, the independent ruling that we got on Friday, uh, he basically <laughs> outs it as saying it's to Gregory Campbell, which is something everyone's denied, you know, including Gregory Campbell. Uh, you know, Bill Daly, I believe, of the NHL is on record saying it was actually uh, to Mark Giordano from Weidman, you know, obviously, who is a teammate. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is, it's just strange to me. And, and 
you know, the first this is the first time we've gone through one of these uh, since it was put in the CBA back in 2013. Uh, you know, I think the expectation back then was that it was going to be something that would be quite frequent where, you know, basically suspensions would, would rise to the point where someone not connected to the league was making the final decision on them. And it's taken three years. And, man, I wonder how long we'll see before the next one because I don't think anyone leaves this process feeling, you know, as though any justice was done or as though it was handled in a way you'd want future cases to be handled. Yeah, I feel like everyone here just sort of uniformly took a hit, right? Like Weidman gets his money back, I guess, but he missed 19 games. Uh, the league looks horrible from a PR perspective and just how they handle the whole situation. And obviously the referee himself is still out for the year with a concussion. So just like there's nothing really good that came of this. No, and, and the league, you know, I think is, is you know, it's always basically handed out punishment uh, itself. You know, it's always made the, those decisions, you know, whether it be uh, the, the disciplinarian at the time, which is Stefan Quintel now, uh, in this case, Colin Campbell made the, the, the original ruling, or Gary Bettman would, would come in as, as a final ruling. And, you know, I think that, that there's there's some uneasiness about turning the process over to someone else who, uh, is is you know I guess the arbitrator is supposed to be completely independent of of all those things and, and making kind of rulings that could become binding uh, for the future and mm-hmm. I think that that's for the NHL more than anything I mean the PR probably isn't great but but I think that the bigger concern is that uh, you know someone else is going to be handing out these rulings potentially if this continues to happen and and you know I, I don't sense that they're all that. I mean, for all the, the, the knocks over the years, the discipline process has taken, they, they've really resisted uh, expanding it, say. You know, I remember back in the day that there was talk, maybe there should be a small tribunal of people rather than just one. Uh, obviously, they've, they've come up with the Department of Player Safety, which is a different approach in the last five years or so to, to how it's done. But, I mean, the league has been pretty steadfast about wanting to control discipline and to try to find you know, I guess the thinking being that no two crimes are exactly the same mm-hmm. and there's certain certain things unique to hockey that, that happen in plays and that's why they obviously have former players involved in the process. But but man, I mean it it's it's gonna be interesting where it goes next because, you know, I, I do wonder if this process is gonna be overhauled in some way or or what, because as you mentioned, no one comes out of it feeling as though that, you know, any justice was served, I guess, or that, that it was the right thing to go through. Right. I mean, sometimes I just want to go totally full bore at the NHL on this. And then I, I kind of harken back to I was watching a Brian Burke interview during the trade deadline. And he even said as much. He was very level headed about it. And he was like, listen, I'm kind of uh, sympathetic here that this is like the first time they've really done something like this. And obviously, there's going to be hiccups as they try to figure out what the best way to handle stuff like this is. It's very it is uncharted territory, as you said. But like, I don't know for Weidman I mean he basically what he just gets his money back and gets a pat on the bum and says and they're they're telling him like listen we're uh hopefully no one else will have to go through this is that like the end is that the end to this story here it I mean possibly I mean the the interesting thing is there's sort of a simple solution which baseball has in that when when something's being appealed the player can play during that appeals process but you know the the obvious issue we can see is that you know what 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 leads to a suspension in hockey tends to be much worse than than what you know players in baseball have to do to get suspended. So you could have someone do something pretty heinous on the ice that that literally nobody agrees with. Right. The league the league comes down with a very harsh suspension, and that player appeals it, and then he can still play. You know, two days later. I mean that 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 to me, I don't think anyone would be happy if we went through that uh, that kind of scenario either. So 
you know, this is uh, they're going to have to find a way to to speed it up. I mean, maybe eliminating the the second step where the commissioner basically is deputized. You know, the the guy who who makes the first decision who works for him. I, I mean, maybe that could could lead to it. But you know, it's it's a it's a tough one. And and you know, I do think that there's a sense in general that that no one has the exact answer for making you know this this perfect. But I think all are in agreement. It's got to be better than than what Weidman faced here. Well, I mean, Bill Simmons has this running gag about how he either he or someone else should be the sports czar, and basically that person would be consulted on all all these kind of common sense things that happen in sports before they're finally pushed through to the public. And it honestly feels like the NHL could really use someone like that, especially this year with all the hits they've taken. Just like uh, just someone to come come pitch ideas to and be like, hey, so we're gonna publicly go with this. Uh, do you think there's any sort of uh, way someone can get back at us about this, and and they they could solve a lot of their problems because like Bettman goes at, at the Sloan conference, for example, the day of uh, the announcement that the suspension is going to be cut in half. And he has an interview where he says he's been perfectly happy with how this arbitration process has been played out. And then he, uh, you know, sings the praises of the new NHL.com and stuff like that. And it just seems like it's so totally out of touch with reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's some of that is Gary's way. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's very, he's a very tough guy. He's been in, in that seat a long, long time. And, you know, I think he is loath to admit that, that things don't go well all the mm-hmm. time. And, you know, occasionally he's proven right. I mean, in some case, you know, I remember when the, the Sunbelt teams were a little newer and there was a lot of talk about whether they should all be taken away and whether this was a horrible idea. Well, I think on on balance, it hasn't been. I mean, it, he, he's in a seat where he's got to make tough decisions. And I think part of kind of his external skin is is to uh, resist any notion that, that they've made a, a bad decision. But But you're right. I mean, this... This has been a tough, you know, stretch, and you know, as I say, I don't have the answer. I really don't. I don't have a way to to speed it up because, on the flip side, you don't want to be rushing someone through a judgment right. in this case. I mean, in the legal world, it does take time, and even Donald Fear said that. And you know, we know that if he felt otherwise, he wouldn't be afraid to come out and and you know hit the NHL with a big stick here. But you know, I think he even acknowledged in, in his comments about a week or so ago that. That, that these things do take time and they want the player to get a fair trial, so to speak, in, in this case. And, you know, as a result, Dennis sat out nine more games than ultimately what his punishment was for. Hmm. All right, let's uh, let's move on to do some quick hitting topics for the stretch run here, just kind of league wide. Um, we were talking before we started recording, and it is does feel like it's sort of this little uh, dry stretch here between the deadline and the playoffs, where especially this year there aren't particularly too many very interesting sort of do or die situations for playoff seeding. Like there's going to be some kind of uh, tinkering here along the way, but there isn't. There's only one, I guess, two uh, with the Flyers kind of making a run here. There's two races to follow, but otherwise everything's sort set in stone yeah it's kind of it's it's weird i mean i guess there's going to be some jockeying to see what the the matchups come to look like and that's you know obviously important uh, for for certain teams i think especially the western teams uh where there could be quite a, a gap between the competition they're facing based on one position or so in the standings but it's it's a weird season usually you at least see a few teams that have a notion that that they're you know it's possible that they they win seven of their last 10 to get in or something like that but mm. You know, it seems like this year we, we had almost teams were painfully honest with themselves. I mean, I think part of that uh, we saw at the trade deadline where not a lot of teams were out, you know, swinging and, and giving up, 
you know, futures or, or good futures for rental players. You know, I'm talking about the teams on the bubble. Um, and, you know, as a result, we, we kind of know it's down to about 18 teams are going to fill out those 16 spots. And, and at least the Flyers have made it interesting because before that, it really had already looked like the East top eight was locked up as recently as a couple weeks ago. No, you're right. I mean, even take the Hurricanes, for example, right? Maybe in past years, they would have convinced themselves that, hey, we should keep Eric Stahl and, and John Michael Wiles and maybe even bring in an extra piece here and try and make a run. But instead, they sort of took a cold, calculated, big picture approach and, and traded off those guys and sort of submarine their play playoff chances in the process yeah and, and you know i guess calgary was kind of the model for that last year because they, right. they traded glenn cross got futures and, and even despite losing giordano it still made the playoffs so you know i think some teams view it as is that way and you know, this will this will swing back at some point i mean let's face it the salary cap is holding uh things up a little bit for in terms of player movement uh, and and teams i think want are kind of stepping a little bit more carefully because you know they, they do need to to find their own talent and, and they can't rely on on taking those risks but you know i do think that that different market forces i guess will will present themselves that we'll we'll see uh, more active uh, teams maybe you know going for those playoff spots but it, but you know it's it's been unexpected i think to I mean, everyone talks about the parody era, but, you know, that, that we really don't have serious playoff races. And certainly by April 9th and 10th, when we get down to the last couple of days of regular season, it's entirely possible we'll know, you know, even a week in advance of that, yep. you know, which eight teams are in. All right, so that's a good segue because the Penguins are one of those teams that is sort of on the bubble here where they're trying to fight off the Flyers and they're jockeying with the Red Wings for the wildcard positioning. And I, I look at them as an interesting team to buck a little trend here because we typically don't, there is this lull period here from year on a year to year basis, right? Where the trade deadline passes and then teams kind of sit still, but you actually are allowed to trade. The guys just won't be ro- roster eligible for the playoffs. And I look at the Penguins, especially with this Malkin injury as an interesting candidate to potentially make a little move here to sort of get inject a little shot in the arm and, and help themselves with some scoring. And I, I don't know. What do you think about this? I've, I've been thinking about it. I've been, I've been laying in bed the past few days, kind of just, <laughs> just, just, just mulling these thoughts over in my head. Trying and, to put yourself in Jim Rutherford. Shoes yes. And, and it, it, it's, it's made a lot of sense to me. I haven't actually ran this by anyone yet. So you're the first person that's going to hear this, but I was thinking about, wouldn't it make sense for like the Leafs, for example, who actually have a rooted interest here because they get the Penguins first round pick if the Penguins make the playoffs. Why wouldn't the, the Leafs be like, Hey, we'll just give you Brad boys or PA Parento for, I don't know, like a conditional seventh or a future considerations or something like that. Like, wouldn't that be a trade that could potentially make sense? for both teams well it certainly would make sense for both teams i mean the only issue the leafs are running into right now is they don't have enough warm bodies there's right. so many injuries and and uh you know, they I don't might know shanahan be, looks like he's in pretty good shape these days <laughs> well they might be loath to give up someone and have to call someone up else up from the marlies because mm-hmm. you know their ahl team you know which is really where they're hoping to build the future has been suffering ever since they brought up the best players uh, to the leafs in the last two weeks but you know that that does Make a lot of sense. I kind of wondered if we if we see those teams connect on a deal at the deadline because of that reason. And and you know if Pittsburgh does miss, the Leafs aren't totally right. uh, screwed because they they do keep a second round pick that they have of Pittsburgh's this this year and can still get the first rounder. But I would think you know they do want to see them get in. And you know if if you're the Penguins right now, even with so little time left, I think you have to be looking to make a trade because you know they they they're a cap strap team, but they can get around that. Uh, by putting Malkin now on on LTIR because he's out for the remainder of the regular season and mm-hmm. and you know create the space they need and and you know it's kind of we haven't 
to my knowledge, we haven't really ever seen a team do this, but to me, there's value in trying to bring someone in to, to help for that four weeks because, you know, the, the cost would likely be very low and, you know, the, the potential gain here. I mean, the, Pittsburgh is not a team that could afford to miss the playoffs. I mean, yeah. as recently as a few weeks ago, I think some were viewing them as a bit of a dark horse to maybe make some noise because they, they have improved the way they play, you know, since making their coaching change midseason. And, and uh, that you know, that shouldn't change. They're in a win now mode. So they're, they're the biggest candidate I can think of to go out and make a deal to, to bolster themselves. And really their first call should be to Toronto because, you know, they have a few guys that, that could fit the bill and, and, you know, a lot of motivation to make that kind of deal at this point too. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was really, I wrote this column for Sportsnet last week and I had pe- the Penguins as one of my seven true contenders. And a lot of people were like, look at their place in the standing. It's not even guaranteed they're going to make the playoffs. And I, I don't know. I just, I think if they get in, I don't think any team's going to want to play them. And you were discussing kind of jockeying for position earlier. And I think like before this Malkin injury, I, I bet the Capitals were really hoping that they, that the Penguins wouldn't get that second wild card spot in the East because that would just be a terrifying matchup where you're going against, you know, say you take a bunch of penalties and all of a sudden Malkin, Latang, Kessel and Crosby put three or four power play goals on you and all of a sudden this series is just getting out of hand and, and Fleury's been playing really well this year and ever since Mike Johnson came in they've sort of, they're so much faster than they were a few years ago, right? Like remember that trade deadline where they brought in Iginlion, Morrow and Douglas Murray Douglas and they were, Murray, and they were yeah. so slow and, and this year a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that they've been kind of relying on some of these AHL call-ups and, and trying to adjust to the new NHL but They've been playing so much faster, and, and it's shown in, in the way Crosby's been producing and, and the results for themselves as a team. So I don't think anyone really was relishing uh, playing them in the first round. And obviously now without Malkin, they're a much more one-dimensional team where, let's say, a team like the, the Bruins, for example, plays them. They can just get a, a Bergeron and Marchand combo to sort of sh- shadow Crosby whenever he's on the ice, and all of a sudden defending the rest of that team becomes a lot more palatable. Exactly. But you're right. I mean, I, I could see them certainly, you know, delivering an upset in the first round. And that's what it would basically be at this point, because I don't see them finishing much higher than the first wild card spot. Um, I mean, you never know, I guess. But I mean, at this point, they're going to be playing someone where they're likely to be the underdog and, and they have the guys that can do it. I mean, it might benefit them in some ways to not have uh, kind of the expectations that, that they've had in the past. I mean, I think that, that right now that they're, there's kind of a chip on the shoulder of those players and then that organization in general. And, and, you know, they're not washed up. I mean, if you've watched Crosby play the last two months, I mean, he's, he's still a dominant player in the league. Marc-Andre Fleury's had a really good season uh, on, on the, the balance. And then, you know, if they can get Malkin back, that could, could be something that could help them. So, I mean, the, the Penguins to me still are, are an interesting case, but they, they've got to get there first and, uh, you know, we'll see how this injury impacts them because uh, it's obviously a major loss at this point in the season. Well, I'm glad I wasn't b- being delirious with this idea that it uh, passed the sniff test for you. So that's good. Um, uh, the second thing I was wondering, uh, the other sort of big jockeying for position we're seeing out west is with the abs and the wild battling for that last wild card spot and i think the interesting thing spinning it forward to me because i think that the wild will ultimately prevail in that matchup is how long do you think moving forward patrick waugh's leash is because there's been a lot of sort of uncertainty with regards to whether he's been sort of 
the person that's orchestrated the building of this team, even though he's not technically the GM, that he's had a lot of say in how the roster has been constructed and whether he should be taking a lot of blame for that as well as the coaching job he's done. And I know, I'm just wondering now if they miss the playoffs again for a second straight year after that first year they had, whether uh, the, his leash will become a lot shorter. I, 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 just what are, you, what are you hearing in that regard? I, I think that, that he's safe. But, I mean, it's always problematic to me when you put someone as legendary as Patrick Wall was in that organization, and even Joe Sackick as well, the general manager in charge, because, you know, you're you're not going to have as many people, it's just human nature, that are questioning what they're doing. Uh, I mean, uh, there might be guys like you and I, but but not other people within the organization, Mm -hmm. uh, not those below them. And, And I think that that can be difficult, because, look, the Avs have... Uh, a lot of nice young pieces, but they, they've not really made the most of what they've had here the last couple of years. And, you know, I think on some level, uh, the, the coach and, and the GM should have to answer to that. But, you know, my sense is that, that they're they're both safe. I mean, there's some question about, I think that, that you'll see some change there. There's, there's a feeling around the league that, that, that maybe Sackick isn't long for the job necessarily, hmm. um, that, that, you know, by his own choice. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. So, so I don't think that they're necessarily there, you know, in perpetuity. But uh, you know, I'd be stunned to see Patrick Waugh fired, for example, by by the Avalanche. I don't think that that's coming. But you know, at some point, I think those questions need to be asked by the people in charge there because uh, you know they, they've, they've you know they went through kind of the losing you have to to have to pick first overall or get Matt Duchesne at number three mm-hmm. and, and get players. They found Ryan O'Reilly in the second round. Now he's gone. I mean, they 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 kind of built up, and but they didn't they haven't taken flight yet, and yeah. and you know they they need to while these guys are in the prime of their careers, or else they're going to be back to a rebuilding phase before they ever made anything of that core. Well, I'm of two minds here because obviously, selfishly, I hope Patrick Ross sticks around forever just because he's endlessly amusing and during a time where you know person there isn't that much personality around the league and generally you're better off just kind of keeping your mouth shut and and towing the company line it's always fun seeing him just have his random blow-ups at the media and and watching the Avs just pretend that everything's fine while everything's just kind of burning around them so that's hilarious to me but I I like his fighter spirit too like he keeps pointing out that 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 course he's kind of garbage in his mind you know he doesn't he doesn't hide from the criticism he's kind of going back at the, the people that are talking about that and I, I find that amusing because he's very much on the wrong side of history with that one yes but I'm also at the same time kind of bummed out as you were saying that they have such great exciting talents to watch like Duchesne and McKinnon and Landis Gog and Tyson Berry and the, it seems like they're definitely not squeezing and all the juice out of this orange and it seems like that they're wasting a great opportunity here to at least play an exciting brand of hockey because you watch them and it's not even that they're not successful it's that they're just like not that even even fun to watch. I mean, they have spurts where they play sort of back and forth, really fun open-ended hockey, but it seems like there's a massive divide between the actual sort of talent in a vacuum they have and the output they have as a team. So I'd like to see something done there, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what the answer is beyond just kind of cleaning house and starting over, which I'm sure that that organization wouldn't really want to do at this point. Well, and you know, what's, what's also interesting to watch too, I think is, is, you know, Matt Duchesne's name, was legitimately in play early in the year in trade talks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how close anything got exactly, but, you know, that wasn't, you know, a fictionalized story or someone taking a guess. I mean, his his name was out there for teams. And, you know, I think it, it was pretty clear that, that Matt knew that and was a bit rattled by it. And, you know, I wonder if they might revisit something like that, which, you know, could be disastrous for them, clearly. I mean, they, they, 
they almost certainly would be trading the best player in that trade. And, you know, I don't think they're going to get back right. a package where there's a better player coming back. Um, but, you know, th- this could still go south still, if you know, depending on how they proceed. And, and again, I just go back to the fact that, uh, you know, I just you, you just worry. I mean, like Steve Eisman, for example, is a legend in the league. But he went to Tampa Bay, and, and I think it was a different kind of scenario. It, it's just tough when someone is is so well regarded by an organization that he comes to run that that, that there maybe aren't enough people asking tough questions around them. Well, I mean, Steve Eisenberg is also just a badass. I mean, did, was there any doubt that this Drouin situation would play out any differently? Like, when has Steve Eisenberg ever lost uh, a game of chicken before? Well, you're right, and and you know I think that obviously look, look at even he's rattled Duran. He went back to play in the American Hockey League. That's yeah. that's the part I didn't anticipate. You know, I, I I'm not the least bit surprised he's still a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning at this stage of the season. But I didn't think that that he would go back and play in the AHL and kind of take his medicine there. Hmm. Um, but it just shows you. I mean, you're right. You don't want to go to war in any way with Steve Eisman because, you know, I don't think anyone's ever won one of those wars yet. <laughs> All right, one final thing before we get you out of here. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday morning, uh, very early here in Vancouver. It's, it's 7 a.m., um, if, if anyone's wondering. Um, the GM meetings are happening today in Florida, and they're going to go on for a few days. Uh, beyond enjoying some nice, refreshing beverages in the sun out there, what, do you, what are sort of the main storylines people should be getting well-versed with in terms of what they're going to be discussing moving forward? Well, the most likely, but first of all, this, you know, I covered a number of those GM meetings. They, they happen on two, two levels. There's always an immediate issue that kind of gets addressed and a rule recommendation made at the end. But then, you know, I think what's more interesting is, is what percolates because it does, does tend to take a few years of discussion for ideas to gain enough traction for change. For example, three-on-three overtime was discussed at these meetings for years and years and years before finally, you know, they, they made the move to, to bring that in. And, and so I think d- the sort of direct storyline we're going to get is is some sort of tweaking with, with how the coaches' challenges are working. And I think that it might not be unanimous, but it's near unanimous agreement that, that it hasn't you know, worked exactly the way it was designed to that, that, you know, there's not enough success rate and calls being overturned that, that maybe the offsides at times are, uh, you know, not really doing what they're supposed to do. So I, I think you'll see a change in, in some way, shape or form made there. But, but what's most interesting to me is, is how they approach the draft lottery. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's something that, that they have tinkered with a little bit the last couple seasons and as we know now the top three are decided by lottery which you know hasn't been done in the past but you know i wonder if we're going to get a quote-unquote edmonton oilers rule uh that comes forward here where where there's some limit placed on either how many times you can get the number one pick or who can get the number one pick uh because there is a strong undercurrent going around the league you know right back to the day that, that the oilers won the draft lottery last last spring to to be able to take Connor mcdavid that that it's basically unfair that it's that an organization that's been unable to, despite having so many previous number one picks, get itself back on track in any you know meaningful way, can continue to, to get the best young talent coming into the league. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a potential we'll see a change there. It might not happen, as I say, right out of the three-day meeting in Florida this week. But, you know, I think we're going to hear a lot more discussion on that as these guys get together and, and kick around some ideas. What about sort of tangentially related to that? I, I saw there was a little bit, the ball got rolling a little bit in terms of the discussion of uh, elevating the, the draft age. Is that something they're going to discuss or is that something that's kind of shelved for later? No, I think that, that that'll be a discussion. I mean, the the one thing about that is is one of the ideas that that I've heard 
kicked around is that basically you could take 18 year olds in the first round and not beyond then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while that, I guess, changes the experience for some guys who would get a drafted a year earlier, we don't see very many second rounders immediately make the NHL at 18. I mean, it, it certainly happened. You know, Daniel Sprong spent uh, 18 games or so with the Penguins this year. Right. Um, but, but I mean, it, 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 to me, it doesn't necessarily change all that much. I mean, I guess it allows uh, the CHL to have a firmer grip on, on some of these players rights for an extra year. But um, I, I don't know. I just get a feeling that the change isn't going to be as dramatic as when you first hear it in terms of what we, what we see. But I think that is certainly nothing will be decided, but that that'll be a topic. I mean, that's a big decision. Uh, I think the NHLPA is going to have a say in this obviously ultimately. And, and I'm not sure, that it's something that they're eager to see, you know, more limits placed on the way players can, can basically get into the league and when. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think in terms of true impact, uh, we're not going to see a huge difference if they end up making that change at some point. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, Chris, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat. You've, uh, you've fulfilled your obligation on this uh, early Monday morning. All right. Now I got to go uh, write a story on William Nylander. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Okay. All right, thanks, bud. All right. And joining us before we get out of here is um, someone I wanted to have on the show for a, a few weeks now just because he's been doing such uh, groundbreaking work on the interwebs and it's uh, it's about time we kind of help spread the word and get people uh, helping his cause. It's uh, it's Emmanuel Perry, who's uh, the creator of, of Corsica Hockey. Uh, Manny, what's going on, man? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm. Uh, I was gonna introduce you as a, an Alex Chasson super fan, but I didn't really think I'd be able to uh, get that sentence out without bursting into a coughing fit. So here we are. Uh, yeah, I was expecting the Travis Yost stream, and I thought you were gonna say what's going on, man. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's let's discuss your website a little bit because I'm sure most people that have listened to this show have already been on it, but for those that haven't, I, I think there's a lot of cool features that kind of distinguish it from the websites that came before it. I, I personally really enjoy the uh, the similarity calculator. I, I don't know, like, w- w- tell people a little bit about your site and kind of what they can check out there. Um, uh, it's really just a hockey website. Um, the only thing that I'm really committed to is that I want it to be, for the public, I want it to be pretty open. Um, so, um, I mean, it, it's open source, but even more than that, I want, uh, it's important to me that people have easy access to information. So other than that, like that, that's really the only thing that I'm sticking to. Um, I've been taking input from people. So, um, whatever people want to see on the site, that's, that's what I'll host. Um, at the moment, uh, lots of the features are similar to what you were able to find or are still able to find on one. Nice. Um, with uh, some some additional stuff, like you said, the similarity uh, calculator, um, some unique sort of like this stuff. Yeah. Let me let me let me cut you off. I should say. I mean, you're not giving yourself enough credit. I think the uh, the combos function of the site is something that I haven't really seen anywhere else, which I've really enjoyed. Because I was looking at it earlier, and um, a guy like John Tavares, for example, I was looking at sort of his most common line combinations this year, and I don't know if you can necessarily <clears throat> kind of attribute any of the weird up and down season he's had to this, but he's had a remarkable number of different combinations where I think I counted either six or seven guys that he's played like nearly a hundred minutes with at five on five this year, which seems like it mm-hmm. would be a probably uh, something that most other stars in the league don't really have to go through. Yeah, sure. And that's, I mean, it's great that uh, you're able to 
um, if you have a question, you're able to answer it with that feature. That's sort of, um, that's what I want with the site. I want uh, to, to be able to query the database and get exactly the information they want uh, to answer um, whatever questions they might have. So the, the combos, um, the line combinations and pairings with something, um, I actually wanted to work on for, for a war on ice to host. Um, and that uh, never materialized, but lots of the code um, I already had ready, so it wasn't too difficult to implement. Mm. Uh, so you, you mentioned you're kind of taking requests from from fans and, and people out there on based on what they'd want to see. Is there anything you're currently um, working on that's going to not yet, that hasn't necessarily shown its way into the site yet, but will in the near future? Um, well, my big thing recently has been the uh, the live game staff. Mm -hmm. um, so I just I just recently got everything automated, which is nice because uh, I mean I I was going to say I don't need to worry, but uh, I'm actually worrying more now because I'm worried that uh, um, the automated uh, system is just going to break everything. But <laughs> the, the live game stuff is what I've been working on. Uh, I um, introduced this new feature called Stories that basically automates the process of. Um, Showing people little tidbits of information from from games, yes. um, so it'll it'll show it to you in text form rather than tabular, um, which is easier to interpret for some people. It's easier to digest. Um, I haven't uh, completed that, but it's sort of in in progress. Um, and I, like when I say I take input from people, I feel bad because oftentimes um, I'm I'm not always able to. Um, um, implement what, what people suggest. Um, right. Part of that is just because I'm like I'm not an expert at this. But you're just also, one man. Yeah. Yeah, and also like I, I need to weigh input from from lots of different people, right? So if if one person likes something a certain way, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, the you know the the majority of people want that. So I, I sort of need to listen to um, multiple people. Um, I mentioned in my mission statement that compromises are going to be important um, on on both ends. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people need to understand that it's you know I think people that know me um, or know me through Twitter know that I'm not like an, I'm not an expert by any means at this shit. So like, right. if, um, um, if if I I say I'll um, I'll think about something and then it never materializes on the site, it's not because I forgot or because I don't want to do it. It's just because there are other factors at play. Right. Well, listen, man. Don't uh, don't beat yourself up too much about that stuff. You're uh, you're doing a remarkable job, and I think that I understand that people online can sometimes uh, you give them a finger and they want the whole hand immediately, and and people can get carried away from time to time, especially when with a resource like this. I mean, even myself sometimes, right? Where something new like this comes out, and you're just like, oh, I just want to do everything on the site now. And obviously, it's kind of a process, and it takes time to put it together. And and as you mentioned, like War on Ice, for example, that was a, a whole team of people that were all working together whereas you're obviously getting help from different segments of the uh online hockey community but at the same time you're sort of uh running the show here and it, it's going to take some time for it all to come together yeah uh, i think i think it's going to work out um and i wasn't even sure i was going to have it ready for this season actually but uh um yeah i mean we'll we'll, we'll see where it goes um I, i'm sort of uh looking forward to the off season because it's going to give me time to uh fix some stuff and add some stuff without uh, you know, people going on the site every day. Right. Um, so some downtime. Um, all right. Let's, uh, this is the part of the show where we can, uh, 
hopefully get some people to help you out. I know you start, started a Patreon page uh, to kind of help cover some of the housekeeping costs of running a website like this. Um, give people information on both where they can check you out on Twitter and how they can access that Patreon page to help out if they want to do so. Yeah, um, give me give me your money. Give me all your money because uh, um, that's what I'm in it for. Yes. Um, no, but I, I have a Patreon campaign, like you said. Um, I think it's patreon.com slash Corsica. Um, but the, the site has a Twitter account. It's at Corsica Hockey, um, just one word. And the uh, pinned tweet on that um, on that Twitter account is, is a link to the Patreon campaign, so you can find it that way. Um, my own account is at Manny Elk, M-A-N-N-Y-E-L-K. Um, I tweet a bit less about stats and more about stupid shit now. Uh, well, I have the, well, a lot of, uh, a lot of vines of your cat, right? I, I've noticed that. It's a lot of, a lot of, that's, yeah, that's the main feature there. <laughs> there's uh, pictures of my cat, Larry. There's uh, um, me being stressed out and disappointed with the Ottawa Senators. Um, there's a lot of that stuff. Well, okay. While we have you on, um, you, you are, as you mentioned just now, an Ottawa Senators fan. Are you worried that um, Mike Hoffman will no longer be on the Ottawa Senators next year? Oh, man. Why are you putting me on the spot like this? I thought we were going to talk about this side. And, um, uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put anything past uh, Ottawa management at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the... The thing with Mike Hoffman is that they're, I think they're going to weigh the end of the season more heavily than they should instead of looking at the aggregate. Um, and, you know, throughout two seasons now, or parts of two seasons, he's been one of the best forwards. But if you decide to single out a few weeks, then you can make him look pretty bad. And if, that's, if those are the two weeks, that's a sample that they want to rely on, and it, it'll lead them to make, um, I think, ultimately disappointing decisions. Yeah, that's that's one word for it. I think that uh, I think that's I'm, I'm growing growing open to that possibility. Just it, not even it might not even necessarily be a management thing as much as it might be. Uh, I don't know. Like I feel like they're very vulnerable here for an offer sheet, or it, they might might just view Hoffman as being sort of out of their price range based on the fact that he has scored a lot of goals over the past two years now. And and I don't know. It's, it'll be an interesting thing to follow because the Senators certainly haven't been the uh, the most uh, freewheeling organization in terms of spending money in the past year so that'll be a, a storyline to follow this summer yeah well speaking of price range like they the arbitration hearing was ridiculous yes um what they settled on so i don't know maybe that's a sign that um even hoffman's agent doesn't value him as highly as he should um so i mean i'm i'm grasping at straws here i'm i'm definitely worried um an offer sheet would be cool we don't see those too often yeah i'd be interested in seeing uh who if anyone makes an offer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's been a pretty pretty depressing end of the season here for the Senators, right? Like, uh, you have this Zach Smith absurd goal-scoring run, which I, <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like he's a, sort of like a monster, and he's just taken all of Zach, all of Mike Hoffman's goal-scoring abilities and just, like, zapped them straight yeah. out of his energy. So, I don't know. I guess that's you know, been it's like follow. It's like eight straight games that he scored a goal, and it's ridiculous. And I think they're all um, primarily assisted by Stone. Um, <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Like, is there anything else for? I, I know we have a lot of uh, senators, fan listeners. So, is there anything uh, else you can say that's sort of been a, a silver lining to the end of this disappointing season? Um, no, <laughs> I think that's perfect. I think that's. Uh, I think you. I think you captured a well. Can we just end it on on that note? Just <laughs> yeah. There's the violence uh, on my part. Well, there, there's there's the Scott Gomez signing, of course. Um, it's, hey, I didn't even mind that. 
um, like a lot of people were pissed at that. Uh, I actually didn't mind this, the Gomez signing at all. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't been great, but like um, I think Gomez's underlying numbers were fine. I think he can still play. Um, it's a uh, it you know it doesn't hurt the tank mm-hmm. to sign Gomez either. Um, I would have rather they kept Prince for sure, but if if Prince was on his way out, um, then whatever, I'm fine with it. All right, uh, whatever, I'm fine with it. The Ottawa Senators 2015-2016 season. Uh, Manny, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show, man, and uh, keep up all the great work with Corsica, and I'm sure everyone listening to the show will continue checking all the new cool features you have installed, and will hopefully uh, help out with uh, opening their wallets a little bit with your Patreon page, man. So we'll uh, we'll check back in with you later on, potentially in the summer when you start really kind of ramping it up in terms of uh, new stuff you're adding to the site. Yeah, cool, man. Thanks a lot. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.